Over summer, we're having a little break at tea with the Queen, but that doesn't mean you're left empty-handed. I'd like to share with you some early interviews from Season 2. Our listeners love all our stories, but these ones in particular stood out. Please enjoy. Why do you love it so much? I think if you own your own business, you have to be prepared to take risks. Being a woman doesn't hold you back from achieving success. Yep, so if you're struggling, just stop and pause and and really reflect on why am I struggling here. But I've also worked really hard and telling me it's luck, I think, just takes away some of that recognition of the hard work. One last question. Welcome to Tea with the Queen, a show where I talk with some of my favourite go-getters, inspiring and courageous women in leadership and business. I'm your host, Emma McQueen. I'm a business coach, executive coach, author and speaker. And for 20 years, I've been working with women to unlock their potential and get paid their worth while doing work they love. What is it that holds you back from doing the things you want to do? What stops you from achieving success in your career, your business or in your life? For many of us, it's us. We hold ourselves back. The fear of what others think or say about us holds us back. Comparing ourselves to others holds us back. We've just got to stop doing that to ourselves. That's the message from my guest today. Erica Kramer is known as the Queen of Confidence, and she's created her own queendom to help empower other women transform their lives by being more confident. It's not easy to do. In fact, as the title of Erica's new book says, Confidence Feels Like Shit, This book's subtitle is The Truth About Confidence and What It Really Takes to Create It. We'll find out about that truth in a moment. Before that, you'll hear about Erica's own life and the trauma she's had to deal with. She's energetic, intelligent, sassy, and ready to help women take on the world. Erica, welcome from one queen to another. Hey, royalty Emma, how are you? (laughs) (laughs) You are the queen of confidence. But a decade ago, you're a much different person. Can we dive straight in the deep end? You had a pretty rough life, right? Yes, yes, it was. It was pretty hectic. And looking back, it's kind of like, did that actually happen? Wow, so different to now. Amazing. I mean, it took a near-death experience to forge a new life for yourself. Can you tell us about that? Without giving too much away, because obviously some of this is in the book. Oh, juicy. You're definitely going to cry if you read chapter two, just saying, everyone listening. Already have, already have. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it was just a very turbulent childhood. So I grew up with a single mother. She was bipolar, which is not her fault at all, but she really struggled with it. And so we are both mothers, you and I, and I can't imagine having a mental illness and being single mothering a child. So it was really turbulent. High school was very turbulent upbringing. I was in foster care system. Within the foster care system, that brought through a lot of sexual abuse, a lot of abandonment issues. I grew up as a really angry kid, kind of fighting my way through the trauma that I had experienced. And so as we know, our childhood really impacts our life and how we see the world. And so as an adolescent, I decided to join the military. And I didn't know this until recently. I was speaking, you know, Kemi Nekvapil? Yes. For those who don't know Kemi Nekvapil, she's a coach. I was speaking with Kemi and we unraveled this whole thing about the military and why I chose it. And I think it was for some stability, which is crazy because I didn't consciously do that. But um, I did that. I ended up marrying my high school sweetheart. 
and we moved across the country, Iraq, the whole war and everything happened. And then unfortunately, when he came back home, we were drinking and driving one night and I broke my back. And that's all in the book. And it was full on. And it was kind of like a mini wake up call because the following year he passed away in a car accident. And that was the big wake up call. That was like the, oh, my goodness, control, all delete. I just want to pretend to restart my life and, and just clean slate. And so that whole experience was the biggest kind of aha moment for me. And really the moment that created this queen of confidence person that you see before you. <laughs> I know. And it's a gorgeous person. Our audience can't see that we're looking at each other. They can only hear the audio. So, uh, but I'm very glad to have you on. And I think I have a specific affinity to you because my mother was also bipolar yeah. and uh, living through that was pretty interesting. And she's uh, no longer with us. And it was rocky. I didn't have the same experiences as foster care and all of that kind of stuff. My parents just decided to split, which caused a whole yeah, that's full on too. range of issues. But, you know, I, I understand the resilience it takes to sometimes be the parent <laughs> when you're the kid, which makes it really hard. Yeah, and I'm sorry to hear about her loss because that's not easy either. That's difficult. Yeah. yeah, really difficult. I think sometimes the universe gives you kids so that you can just be better. <laughs> You know, and have and, compassion uh, for your parents as yes. well. You're like, oh god, kids are a pain in the butt. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I was telling Chris, my lovely producer, earlier that I dropped Evie. I've got a seven year old. I've got three children, but I've got a seven year old. And I dropped her at the school this morning, and I said, "Hey, baby, it's a good day." And she just looked at me, and she went, "Mum, it's a good day to have a good day." And I thought, oh. "Yeah, she's my mini me." <laughs> oh, beautiful. So tell us, um, you then moved to Australia. Yes. Tell us about that. So as you do, you meet someone in Las Vegas. I <laughs> Well, you do. <laughs> um, yeah, I met this man in Las Vegas. I was a hairdresser at the time and I was at a hair conference. So I was there. I was really looking for some kind of purpose and, and trying to keep myself occupied instead of dealing with my stuff, as a lot of us do. And I met this man and he had a really crazy accent. You know, he had a $10 note that was like, I'm like, what is that? Is that your money? This is crazy. And that started the conversation. So Australian money is what brought me to Australia officially. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so yeah, I just, I met him and I thought, you know what? This guy seems nice. He was totally not what I had been um, used to in relationship wise, the men that I was dating and the people who I grew up around. And I think that idea of someone different and something different really got me thinking that there could be something different for me. And so followed him across, you know, the Pacific Ocean and was like, yeah, I'm going to move here. And that's what really brought me here. I didn't know that he was a narcissist. I mean, bless you, Paul, but he wasn't a great guy to be with. But at the time, I didn't know. And I think we attract what we are and what we feel about ourselves. So I felt insignificant. I felt like damaged goods. I felt like I wasn't good enough. And so I attracted someone to kind of prove to me and treat me in that way. And I obviously put up with that. So that's what kind of brought me here. I lived in Sydney for two years. And then obviously I didn't stay up. After 11 months, I realized that wasn't the relationship for me. But I didn't want to leave because I thought when I see a kangaroo, or I see like a, a boomerang, I'm going to think of this guy and how bad it was. And I didn't want to leave myself with that taste of Australia. I knew it was a good country. I'm like, there's something here for me. So I moved away from him, but I ended up staying in the country, which is a good thing that I did that. <laughs> it is a great thing that you did that. And yes, let's 
hopefully Paul's moved on. <laughs> yes, but we, we've talked. He's a he's a good guy now. But yeah, sorry, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so true. What you put out to the universe, you attract back, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you yeah. face some gut wrenching times in your life. As I read the book, I was just like, oh, and it's amazing how you've turned it all around. Obviously, to become the person that you are today, and you're on a crusade. Well, I would say you're on a crusade to help other women to reclaim their confidence. You've written a book, Confidence Feels Like Shit. (laughs) Why the title? Yes, it's a question I get asked the most. So I feel like I did good with that title because people are like, what? What do you mean? It's almost like a mind bending situation because, you know, as a woman growing up, the number one thing that we want to be and want to do and want to have is confidence or confident. And so it was a podcast episode I did in my first year of podcasting where I was in the shower where, you know, all the wisdom comes, right? The shower when your kids are not in there and you're like, all the downloads and ideas. And I was like, wow, for someone to be confident, what do they need to do? And I just started thinking about the idea and the process of confidence and how how horrible it feels when you are doing air quotes, confident things meaning doing your first podcast episode, you know, speaking publicly, doing a TED talk, publishing your book, go getter. Okay. Like that would have felt so scary the entire time, but then people see the book and they're like, Oh my God, Emma, you're amazing. You're an author. And you're like, yeah, I am. But I went through hell to write that book and (laughs) that felt terrible, you know? Yeah. So I think that I wanted to share with women how confidence feels like shit and it feels terrible and it feels scary and it feels like you're in self-doubt the whole time and you don't know what the hell you're doing and you're going against the grain and sometimes against what your family wants you to do and against what your critics and haters and all the people who don't agree with you, uh, you're putting yourself out there and that shouldn't feel comfortable. It shouldn't feel good. And so I wanted to break the stigma that confidence is this gold star that once you have confidence, everything will be amazing and you just lack confidence. That's your problem. And it's like, No, let's talk about the deep dive of what confidence is about and why we don't go for it and why we don't cultivate and create it. And so that's where kind of the name had come from. I love that. I love that. Why is confidence so important? Why shouldn't we just accept or resign ourselves to the fact that we're just not going to be a confidence queen? Yeah. First of all, we're all queens. And I think that you maybe just if you're listening and you're like, not me, you just haven't come to terms with it yet. So we're going to show you. (laughs) Emma and I are going to just keep listening to our shows. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I feel like because then it makes confidence a subjective thing that you either have or don't have. And if we go back to our children, all kids are born with confidence. They're born with, I can take on the world. I can run down those really steep stairs, even though I'm just learning how to walk, you know, and it's probably dangerous, but they don't have that. You can't do it. You should have fear. You should be worried about what people think about you. They don't have that. We teach them how to have that. You know, they borrow it from us. And so for me, I believe that no one is born or not born. We all have confidence, but it gets taken away from a number of things. And then we identify as I'm confident or I'm not confident. She's confident. And it's an emotion at the end of the day. It's like happiness, sadness, joy. I can feel anxiety or I can feel confidence. It just depends on what I'm thinking. So if someone did say that, I would I would say to them that it's not a thing you have or don't have. It's actually an emotion. And we know that emotions are felt with thoughts. So what are you thinking? It's going to help how you feel, which is going to impact what you do, which will impact your results. So if you want to be more confident, let's start with how you're thinking about yourself. And then let's talk about confidence as a practice, as opposed to this destination that we go to, you know? 
Yeah, like meditation and mindfulness. Exactly, like yoga, like meditation. You never go, all right, I meditated. Oh, and you're like, I'm I'm now meditated. And then, <laughs> you know, you walk around meditated. No, you, you don't arrive. You know, it's like I meditated this morning and then, you know, coffee spilled on me and someone cut me off and now I'm pissed off and I need to meditate again. So it's like, <laughs> yes. this is practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally get it. And I think you're right. I think uh, I was talking to Evie the other day and as everyone knows, we've been in a global pandemic at home, la, la, la. But she's back at school and she said, oh, mom, I'm just feeling a bit, you know, nervous to go see my friends again. I said, are you or are you feeling excited? Because I think sometimes the, the butterflies are the same. And she's like, oh. Yeah, I'm feeling excited, Mum. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Sometimes it's just a reframe, right? And they just learn so freaking young from us. <laughs> and you wonder how much damage you might actually do to them. <laughs> I, know, I know, I know. It's like my kids are going to need a, the queen of confidence, the life coach. They're going to need you to coach them. And yeah, it's and they're watching us. So many of my clients are like, how do I teach my kid to have confidence? I'm like, you can't. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, you just model. You just be the example because they don't listen to what we say. They copy what we do. So who are you being and how are you acting in your day to day? That's what your kids going to most of our kids are going to do. Totally, totally. I mean, you know, it's it's not my parent. What did my parents used to say? It's do as we say, not as we do. And I just thought well, that's just stupid. <laughs> It's the opposite, right? Do as we do, not as we say. Okay, yeah, I'll yeah. do that. <laughs> Cheers to that. Then. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. One of the, my favorite pieces about the book was this word responsibility. Tell me why it played such a significant role in your book. Oh, that it's like makes me want to cry. That word, I love that word so much. It is definitely my top value when I think about our values as people and anything we do. And it never was, but I think it was always there. I just never identified what it meant to me. And I have to say, I didn't, I wish I created this, but it was Dr. Wayne Dyer in his book, uh, Happiness is the Way. He talks about your ability to respond and he really breaks down the word responsibility as an ability to respond to something. And so when we look at responsibility, it's like we can point the finger as to our, our bipolar mothers, you know, who really at the end of the day, they did the best they could with what they knew. You know, I know that a lot of us, it's find it hard to to say that our parents or, you know, someone who did something bad to us. It's like, I know that, but they're every single human being is trying to do the best they can with what they know. And so when I heard this, he was kind of like, instead of blaming your bipolar mother or your upbringing or the turbulence or the sexual abuse, you can say it wasn't my fault, but it is my responsibility now as a grown up. Like I'm a 38 year old woman and I have children and now as a grown up, I can look at the things that aren't working for me. So maybe my bank account is not where I want it to be. My body, maybe my relationships are really turbulent. My friendships, any area, my business, my career, my purpose, all of that is my responsibility if I choose for it to be. Therefore, if you respond or if you choose it to be your responsibility, you can respond. So if you don't like it, you can change it where when we go, oh, it's her fault and we point the finger out there good luck. You can't change her or that. You can only change yourself. So that's why I think it's the core. And you probably know this in your work, coaching people as well. No one wants to hear that. Like, hey, no. by the way, <laughs> who wants to take responsibility for their re- behavior in their childhood? Yeah, like no one. So it's it's hard to get people there. But I wanted to share my story so that they could see where I was doing that and then hopefully go, okay, I can find my way through that. And when clients do that, as you know, it's a game changer. Everything changes and they have this creator, this ability to create the life they desire. 
Yeah. And I think the when I was reading it, I went back to my own book because I wrote a section about playing above the line and below the line. And I was like, oh, this responsibility thing, this is really, I mean, I wish I wish it was your IP too, by the way. I was like, oh, it would have been so good. <laughs> um, so, but I went above and I went, oh, okay. So responsibility is, you know, playing above the line and making sure that you're not the victim and, you know, like having those clear conversations with yourself and with others and just we can't control what anyone else does. All we can control is the response we have uh, and the responsibility we take for the decisions that we make, really. 100%. It's so hard. Yeah, so hard, right? And it's constant. You don't just make the one decision, then you're like, sweet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't that be good? (laughs) So good. (laughs) So good. I think that's why it resonated with me. You talked about your clients then being able to live the life that they desire. What stops us from creating our best lives? What gets in the way? Do you know what? There's this T-shirt that I bought. I'm sure at Cotton On or something, those slogan t-shirts that say, women will change the world. And I felt so empowered when I bought that shirt. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to wear this shirt. And then I kept thinking about it and thinking about my clients and this question you just asked. And I'm like, I wish I could put a little extra word there with like a white Sharpie that said, women who believe in themselves, women who believe that they can change the world will change the world. So it's important because if we don't believe we can, If we don't have the self-belief, which is what confidence at the end of the day, and when we talk about confidence, it's obviously self-confidence, right? That is the key to everything. So if you yourself have given up on the self, on the I, that I can't do that, or I will never have that or be that, how in the world are you going to cultivate and create anything in your life? The relationships you want, the money, the bank account. And this really plays into how we see the patriarchy and women and pay gaps. And I know that's a thing, Emma, I totally do. But I refuse to make that the reason why I don't make money or why I don't have opportunity. I'm a woman of color. I'm a Latina. I grew up in the ghetto on food stamps. I have no business living in a first world country, married to an amazing man, beautiful kids making over a million dollars in my business. I have no business doing that. Like my background doesn't show any evidence of that. No one showed me how to do that. So if I believed that, then that would therefore change my entire life and make me, like you said, a victim and someone who was the cause and I just I just refuse to believe that. So I think the self-belief is very important if we want to create, right? If we want to be the author of the book. Yeah. It's the stories we tell ourselves. Sometimes the stories are just shit house, basically. Yeah, all of the stories are shit. <laughs> just stop <laughs> believing those, reading those stories to yourself yeah. at bedtime. <laughs> That's right. Change the narrative. Yes. And by the way, I really think you need to get that Sharpie out and put that in. Because I think that would I, that would make me so happy. And yeah. then can you pop it on and tag me so I can see that? <laughs> This shirt has a typo, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. What's the, for our audience, what's the when I, then I myth? Yeah, so it's the thing that we say, we can't have that until we do this. I can't be that until this happens. And again, another block that stops us from not only creating confidence, but getting what we want, whether that's the job, the relationship, the money, the freedom. So when I lose the weight, then I'll love my body. And it's like we know uh, study after study or if you listen to any research, women who lose a lot of weight still have the mindset of a size that they were. So I've got a client when I was a stylist, she was a size 22. She lost weight. She was an 18. We went shopping because I was her stylist and she's looking at 22. I'm like, honey, you're not a 22 anymore. You're 18. She's like, no, I, I, I can't wear that. And she actually physically in her body was a size 18. And so she lost the weight, which air quotes is what she wanted. So she got what she wanted and she still wasn't happy. And so it's like that old coaching term of like, be, do, have, like, can you be happy now? 
and do things that someone who is happy does, then you're going to have the result of happy woman. You don't have to wait because consider that even when you get that thing you say you want, you still won't be fulfilled because if you can't feel it now and have it now without having the physical result. And again, Wayne Dyer says like, believe it before you see it. And it's not some fluffy, like spiritual manifestation thing. It's actually true. Like, can you believe who you want to be and start acting like her now? Because how the hell are you going to get to that level if you can't be her now and start doing what she does now? There's no way that it's going to happen for you because you're waiting for an external thing to come and rescue you or save you or do it for you. And it's like, no, we have to stand in that now. So it's like, not when I, then I, it's like, how about right now? How can I be confident now? If I was confident, what would I do? Then you do it and you're actually going to be in a moment of confidence and a practice. Yeah. And it's interesting to me because I talk a lot with my clients about mindset. And so that woman who's lost all that weight has forgotten to do work on her mindset to shift that, right? And I think 80% of the work is on the mindset. Then 20% is just implementation, right? It's like, you know, you, you unblock those things, you get rid of the crappy narrative that you've got running, you reprogram the new stories in your brain, which are more positive and self-fulfilling and all that kind of stuff. And then it just happens. It's like everyone's like, oh, the universe has heard me. I'm like, duh, that's how it works. <laughs> I know. It's like everybody talks about that secret book and how it had so much missing, which is you can't just sit here and, you know, wish for something to happen. you got to do hard work. But you're right. I fully believe mindset is the key to everything. And, and I think the key even deeper is like the thought. Because there's, you know, we can't embody anything. It's got to go through our brain. We're humans. We This machine up here gets caught up. And if you don't pay attention to, I was a coach that I follow. I love her, Brooke Castillo. And she's like, hygiene of your mind. Like you brush your teeth. You don't want to let plaque and broccoli and, you know, spinach in your teeth before you go to bed. It's like you brush your teeth. So like who's who's brushing your mind? And there's like a hygiene of your mind. Because whatever's up there that's not going investigated, you're believing, you're you're acting out and you're getting a result. And it's only in your mind. Like it's a thought that you haven't uncovered. So I love mindset. I think it's the key to everything. Oh, really is. It really is. Speaking of mindset, how do you create a confident mindset? So we've talked about self-belief and, you know, the practice of confidence. What do you think you need to create a confidence mindset? So I think like anything you want to do, like a little inventory stock take, right? So a little check-in. I love journaling. I love writing my thoughts down. I also voice record myself. I also video myself and talk to myself on video. I'm like, my second value after responsibility is communication. (laughs) (laughs) That makes so much sense. (laughs) Yes. So like, I'm like, let's get it out. Let's talk about it. I love unraveling and speaking about things. And I think this was my 19 years in therapy as a kid all the way until adulthood. And so for me, what I do is every day I check in and I would include or invite you, the listener, to do this as well. Just check in with yourself. When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you're doing? And it's like, oh, I feel tired. I feel angry. I feel upset. Or I'm checking my phone. I'm numbing out. Or, oh, I got to go to work. How are you waking up? And if you have a practice, whether it's your journaling in the morning or throughout the day, or you write on a receipt in your car at the red light, like this doesn't have to be fancy and cute. But the idea is... Do you know what's going on in your head? So if you were to, you know, stare at your mind and see the 80 or 70 or 100,000 thoughts that some women are thinking a day, I know I think a lot of thoughts. If you could catch the top three thoughts, 
the top three that really mess with you, what would they be? And so I I challenge my clients all the time. I want you to know the top three thoughts that really mess with you. And they're like, I I don't know. And I'm like, well, you get to know them, like get to know those thoughts because they're invading your home, which is your mind, which is your home. So if I don't know those top three thoughts, then I don't actually know how they're affecting me, the behaviors that I'm doing, what I'm doing based off of that thought. So the number one thing I would say is become someone who journals and it doesn't have to be like, dear diary, you know, (laughs) doesn't have to look like that. It could literally be one of the thoughts I wrote in the past year was my kids are holding me back in my business. What a terrible thought. I don't care. No judgment. Like, let yourself write all the crap that you're thinking. I wrote it down and I stared at it and I was like, that's not true. Okay, what's actually going on? And I got to like inquire and rip it apart and pick it apart. And I saw that I was exhausted. I hadn't communicated to my husband that I felt exhausted. I was resentful to him. And I just felt overwhelmed. I had so much to do and I didn't tell anyone. So then I just was angry at my kids. And so if I don't let myself write that down, I can walk around in the world thinking that my children are a setback, that my husband is a jerk and he doesn't get me, that no one helps me, poor me, I do everything, no one understands me. Like, how does that play out when I act like that day after day, week after week, year after year? And it's a bullshit thought that I let run around in my head because I didn't catch it, put it on paper and go, you're a lie. And you can be gone. So that's the number one thing that I would say, if you want to build a confidence mindset, what are you thinking? Is what you're thinking actually true? And have you inquired and and ripped apart that thought into shreds until you can actually figure out what the truth is? Yeah, I do a similar thing with some of my clients when they're talking about that inner critic that just keeps going off in their brain. And I ask them just to literally think about spitting the words out in the palm of their hand and then going through and inspecting each word and going, is that actually true? Or is it true? And why is it true? And if it's so, you know, the first, the one is, you know, I've tried something and it didn't work out. So let's say that means I'm a piece of crap. So you put that down in your palm of your hand and you go, I'm a piece of crap. Am I a piece of crap? No. Why have I had this thought? Well, because I've just tried something new. It didn't really work out. All right. Does that make me a piece of crap? No. And as they go through that, they just inspect those words and go, yeah, that's bollocks. Yeah. (laughs) We're we're done here. (laughs) Yeah. So basically me and Emma want you to talk to yourself. Uh, Don't listen to the therapist that say that's crazy. And answer yourself as well. And then write yourself a letter. Yeah, exactly. It's like I used to sit in my car when I didn't know any of this work and I was practicing this and I'm like, I don't like how I feel right now. I don't like how I feel right now. I'm angry. What's going on for me? And I would just be literally driving my car, yelling at myself, going, I don't like this. What am I doing? What am I feeling? And I'm like, I'm angry. Okay, why am I angry? And I would just be like talking to myself. And then I realized I spoke to my mom on the phone and she was annoying and she got me in a bad mood. So I took on some anger and now I'm driving my car and she's long gone. You know, it's like when someone cuts you off and you're yelling at them for 10 minutes and that person is gone. They are on their way. Who knows where they are? And you'll leave this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, let it go. So it's like that. And if you don't acknowledge this, it literally runs your life. It secretly runs your life in the subconscious, which we know we spend like 97% of our time in an autopilot program. So we need to pay attention to that. Yeah, totally. I do this other thing. I ask some of my clients to journal before they go to bed, just a paragraph, just whatever comes out and almost like spit it out in the journal and then never look at it again. I love that. And interestingly, because uh, a lot of the people that I work with have such busy minds that they're not sleeping very well. And sleep has a major impact on confidence, yeah? So that's why they did in the war, that was the torture, right? No sleeping. The thing for me is when I first start working with a client, I worked with a client and she said, my issue is self-confidence. I'm like, that's really interesting. Let's talk about that. 
actually what it came down to is that she didn't have very clear boundaries and that she wasn't getting a decent night's sleep because she didn't have a very good routine. We got that sorted and she literally looked at me like I had horns in my head. She was like, are you just telling me that? I'm like, I am, yeah. yeah. And anyway, I'm like, just two weeks. Just do it for me to two weeks and then we'll see. Anyway, after two weeks, she's like, I'm confident. I'm like, I don't think it happens quite that quickly, yeah. but I'm really glad you're feeling better. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's many other things. It's not so much the confidence. It's like, I think in my podcast, which is about confidence, I've done two episodes on confidence, literally. Yes. Like, yeah. that's it. I, I, the whole thing's not about confidence because it's almost like a byproduct of all of the other things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, in your book, you write about the five steps or the five C's, which I loved, as you know. I know. I love you. We talked about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That p- confident people follow. So in a nutshell, what are they? So the first one, and this again is probably the practice of confidence. So after 10 years of studying it with hairdressing and being a stylist and then being a confidence coach, I was like, there's something people are doing. And we sat down and really worked it out. And what what it was, was five C's, five steps that you can take whenever you feel anything. So you don't have to be at one. You could be at three and go to four. And it's kind of like a step-by-step process. So step one is choice. And choice is all about you understanding that you can make decisions. You know, like there's so many times where we don't choose what we want to do, where we don't make the big, scary decision. And we focus on the tiny little thing that doesn't matter. You know, like we sabotage and we're like, what's my logo and my website? And I'm like, just launch your business. You don't need a freaking logo. You can make it on Canva. Who cares? Just go tell people that you are doing this business, right? So choice is all about understanding that you can make a choice. You can make a decision. What is that going to be? A lot of the times we neglect the things that we want to do and we kind of put it away. And in this exercise, I'm asking you to bring it to the forefront that I want to quit my job but I don't want to tell anyone that, or I actually am not happy in this marriage or whatever it is for you, letting yourself have a space to write down that big, scary choice that you, that you know, you've been avoiding. And if you're listening to this, I want you to just really quickly scan in your head, that choice that you know you want to do, but you're not doing, we all have it. So you write that down on paper. Boom. That's my choice. That's a decision that I know I need to make that I haven't made. Then number two, we move to courage. And courage is not like this lioness that's like, rah, let's go. No, courage is you're scared as hell. There may be pee dripping down your leg and you are definitely shaking in the knees and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Ah." Like that's courage. So when I identify courage, I talk about courage as you're scared as hell. You know, thumbs up, keep going. Do it anyway. And people are like, yeah, exactly. Like, no, 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 wait, that's not courage. Like that's called being scared. I'm like, how do you think you create courage? You don't create courage while you're courageous. (laughs) You create it when you're scared and you're in the dark and you don't know where to go and you take a step anyway. So it's about understanding that you can only plan so much. You actually have to step now and you could fall on a rock and bump your head or there could be no rock and you could walk down the little path. Fine. So that's courage. Number three is create. And instead of being called action, because, you know, I was like, I want to call this action. We had to think about it and we're like, you know what? In the world that we live in where we're hustling the hustle culture and we're just doing a lot And a lot of the women, and you probably see this as well, the the women that we work with who would identify as a woman, a feminine woman, are fully trying to hustle in their masculine. They're basically ladies acting like how dudes act in the corporate world or the business world. And that is ridiculous. So I didn't want to make it action because I don't want women to take action. I wanted them to create. So maybe it is an action that you need to do. Maybe it's a small step towards the thing you want. Or maybe you need to wait. Or maybe you need to cultivate a relationship with someone. Maybe you need to find a different way to make this happen. You know, so create is about you taking one tiny small action step 
in towards the thing that you want. So instead of going, oh my God, this big decision is so scary. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to avoid responsibility. It's like, nope, this is what I want. I'm scared as hell. What's one tiny thing that I can do right now to get me moving closer to what I want. And that's my practice of confidence. I'm scared. I got the decision. All right, I'm going to do this tiny thing. Like tell people on Instagram, I'm launching a podcast. I don't know. Cool. Tiny thing done. Now, number four is consider and consider is about evaluating your action, evaluating what you created. So you did something. How was it? And a lot of people especially have tried to make the word failure cool, like just fail forward. And I just, I don't know. I feel like words again, you know, Wayne Dyer, words are so important. So when I think of failure and I go, Hey, Emma, it's okay. You failed. Try again, honey. It's cool. Just fail forward. I just feel like failing is for failures. So if I failed, I'm a failure. It doesn't make me want to try again. Yeah. I don't care how cute we package it, how many books we write about fail forward. I'm like, if it sounds yucky to me, it's like fake it till you make it. I hate that. Like me too. Let's not say that ever again. Right. Like, so I think words are important. So I say, instead of failing, it's like, how did you go? I did well. That was awesome. Okay, cool. Let's keep going. Or you know what? That sucked really badly. It wasn't great. And I learned that that wasn't the way. So I learned that Paul wasn't going to be the man of my dreams. I learned that Australia is a crazy place if you don't have boundaries and you don't know who you're dating and you don't have structure and you can't be drinking alcohol and doing crazy stuff when you're in your trauma. So there's a lot of failures, air quotes, that I learned from. So how could it be a failure? Like it was, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. My mistake is the best thing ever. So number four is consider. So did you do really well, awesome, or did you learn something? And then number five is continue. And continue is really important because sometimes when we air quotes fail or we perceive it as a failure, we stop. And I'm like, no, we need to get back up and keep going. And so number five is important because if you don't keep going, then what happens is the, the and this is important, right? The bigger the gap from continue to making a new choice. So the bigger the gap from number five to number one, because it's a continuous loop, the more self-doubt, the more self-doubt, the longer it is, the longer it is. It's like a crowbar in your practice of confidence. Then you're like, I'm just not confident. And I'm like, no, you are in a practice and you stopped meditating. You stopped doing yoga. So now you're stiff. You just have to get back into it. What's the next choice you got to make? Like, let's go. So courage and continue. So two and five kind of meld into the whole thing. So it's really just one, three and four continuously, continuously. And then you're like, I'm in the practice. And that's how I live. Like I'm always doing something in those five steps. I'm never not doing something in those five steps. And therefore I can say that I'm always practicing confidence. Am I always winning? No, I'm falling on my ass all the time, you know, publicly, but I'm moving up again and moving and and, and rolling with it. It's so interesting that you talk about the failing thing because I don't know if you can see, but I've got a little manifesto there. And one of the things is about failing fast. And I've been challenged by it over the last few months. But you know what? These things are a bit like a logo on a website, right? Yeah. Anyway, Simon Sinek has just released, I don't know if you've seen, but he's just released something which is not about failure, but about falling. Oh, I like that. So instead of failure, you fall and you just get back up. I love that. It's not that hard. So I I have a thing that I say, like I say F it up. It's a bad word. F it up, get back up. <laughs> F it up, get back up. Like it's a literal like mantra. I need to put it on the wall. It's like F it up, get back up. Like you're gonna F it up. Like for sure. Not if you do, you will. I hope you all do. I hope you F it up real bad and real big. And then you got to get up and don't even like you fall even faster and you don't go, oh my God, I fell. Did anybody see me? Or you're like bleeding going, look, I fell. It's like, just get up, honey. You're going to fall many times. Like I fall. No one even knows I fell. I'm up again fast. I'm falling. I'm fa- like, I love that. 
Falling instead of failing. Beautiful. Falling, yeah. Good job, beautiful. Simon. Yeah, thank you, Simon. <laughs> I wish that's the type of IP I wish I had nailed. I know. <laughs> he was like, falling fast. Yeah, oh, that's what I – anyway, I'm going to have to change my whole manifesto now. But um, <laughs> how did those people that are listening to us today, how do they connect with you? Tell us, where, where are you so people can find you? So I am really bad at LinkedIn. I've realised that. I'm trying to get better at this. <laughs> I've been an Instagram woman. We've made our business, all our money, our community on Instagram because I love video. So yeah. uh, I'm on Instagram at the Queen of Confidence. I'm on the website at the Queen of Confidence. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm getting better. I message <laughs> Emma. That's the only person I probably speak to on LinkedIn. <laughs> but yeah, Instagram, Facebook. It's it's a great, I love it. I love sharing, in the, as you do, in the stories and talking to people. I love talking to my audience. So if you are on Instagram, come say hi. If you are on LinkedIn as well, but just don't expect a fast reply because I suck there. <laughs> Takes her about 48 hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on Tea with the Queen. It's been an absolute blast and a pleasure. And I know that my audience will just, just take the tips that you've given them and go, what's my choice? What do I need to do next? Like it's the smallest steps, right? And I have loved watching your journey. I've just loved watching your journey and your personality and your vibrance is just out there. And I know you're also in service to your community and that's what I love. I love that you're in service to your community. So thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Emma, thank you for having me. And I want to acknowledge you for your book and the work that you do and how you show up. You are so consistent. Like you are my LinkedIn dream. I'm like, (laughs) it's pink and she's there. Honestly, you're, you're amazing. And so I just want to acknowledge you as well for the work that you do for the people of the world. And thank you for calling yourself the queen because I had a lot of issues calling the queen of confidence and being the queen. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of imposter, like, I don't want to be her. And my husband's like, people need a leader. And I'm like, ah. So thank you for doing that because it really gives permission and, and shows me that it's not about us. It's what we call ourselves and we're leading the way, but it's about us bringing the community together. So I acknowledge you, queen, and I love you. That's it for this episode of Tea with the Queen. If you love this episode, let me know. I would love to hear from you. And you're very welcome to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to contact me directly, all my details are at my website, emmamcqueen.com.au. I look forward to your company next episode. I'm Emma McQueen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>